Stewart is a certified sexologist, sexual strategist, intimacy relationship, sex coach, educator, speaker, author, and owner of Velvet Lips. She's a sexuality education company leader that focuses on people to help them integrate seduction and develop their communication abilities and enhance their sex skills. She teaches sociology and women's and gender studies. And she aims to bring diverse groups together to learn and to share their experiences in the essence of being authentic. She has studied human sexuality for decades and has educated over 20,000 people, given over a thousand workshops, served clients in her private practice all around the world. And that's one of the reasons we're having her on the Blue Hotel podcast today. Who better to have than this writer who's been featured in over 100 magazines and books been on over 80 podcasts and TV shows, and now she's our special guest at the Blue Hotel. We welcome Marla Renee Stewart. Hello, Marla. Hi. Thank you so much for having me, Jeff. I appreciate it. I'm happy to be here on the Blue Hotel podcast. Yeah, great intro. <laughs> You've been traveling. Tell me more. Oh, gosh. I, a lot of places. Um, but yeah, recently, um, well, I've been just traveling for a lot of things, a lot of different events, including West Coast Bound. I was at the Bonobo Retreat recently, ASEC Conference. Um, wherever people want me to go and present, that's where I go. So Tell me this, Marla, because whenever we go to educate, to speak, to uh, to be in a community, of like-minded people. I always find that in all of that, we find out something about ourselves. Is there anything you found out about yourself in the recent weeks of travel? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, uh, being at the Bonobo retreat was just one of the best times that I probably have ever had in my life. Um, it was just very nourishing. And it was just like-minded people, like you said. And I just felt really filled and full um, from, you know, being around, you know, the folks that I was around. So it really reminded me to make sure that I need to state my desires and that when I say my desires, they're probably in line with somebody else's desires. And then it also helped me to release some of the you know, pressure, I guess, of being, you know, a professional and being an educator and having that, you know, having that hat on, you know, 24 seven. So it allowed me to not have that hat on all the time and to just be, and that felt really good to me. So, yeah. The Bonobo Retreat is? The Bonobo Retreat is a retreat for the bonobo network which is in the bay area who are sex positive individuals who fashion themselves with the likes of the bonobo <laughs> and what they do what do they do well the 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 monkeys they kind of have um open relationships or they have open sexual relationships and they 
have, uh, they, they tend to do what their desires are and they just sort of act on those desires in a, in a consensual, you know, special, unique, uh, beautiful way. So here's something I've been thinking a lot about because sometimes when you say something is a thing, it is a thing because you said it was spring fever comes to mind and every spring we talk about it and we seem to be elevated in our, um, and our sexual desire. Is that really a thing? Tell, tell me what your understanding of spring fever is. Well, you know, I think spring fever can be, it's like one of those things where we come out of the winter, right? So for some of us who, you know, might uh, like dread the winter because there's not enough sun or the spring allows us to have the sun shining bright, dopamine and serotonin, all those happy hormones, vitamin D, we're getting all like these good things that we normally aren't getting during the winter. So, you know, spring fever is probably just a, uh, a way of saying, hey, come outside, get some, get some of those happy hormones, and we just feel happier. We're back, yeah. yeah. And, and it seems to come with a sense of hope. And, 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 and while the trees, and depending on where you are in the hemispheres, um, I'm to the north, so the winter is long and cold and desperate. It's like the shining. And then and then finally, it seems like finally the rain and the sleet and the snow is over. And near the end of May, you feel like you can breathe again and the buds start coming out on trees. And I think hope is the thing because with the blooms comes kind of hope. And if you're not in a relationship or if you're hoping for a new relationship, a big part of that, I think, and you tell me what your thoughts are, is is hope and belief that something's coming. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's it's the it's sort of like, you know, we're also coming out out of the new year, too. So we're still it's sort of like a, a refresh or renew. That's why we call it spring cleaning, right? Because we're like, all right, we are clearing the slate. We're getting ready to like have the rest of our year and to to have fun and uh, do the things we need to do for the rest of the year. You know, I think it is definitely sort of a hopeful, a hopeful place. Hopeful, happy place, I believe. That's what happens to me, at least. (laughs) That's what happens to me, thankfully. One of the posts, Marley, you made on social media that caught my ear and eye was one about how, quote, getting lucky has really nothing to do with luck, everything to do with aligned desires and how having a relationship takes both that, aligned desires, and interests. Let's dig into this, Marley, because I find that sometimes in our less than evolved states, some of us, men, you see someone that uh, attracts your attention and you start idealizing and you build them into this perfect person that no one could ever live up to, but you felt so lucky meeting them and, and that they said yes and that they're so beautiful or they're so whatever. And 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 you know nothing of their uh, desires. You know nothing of their personality. You know nothing of their interests. All you know is they made you feel there's more to it, isn't there? Dig into that if you would. Yeah. So, you know, it, it sort of goes back to, you know, what's love got to do with it, right? A lot of times for, for folks, when we, we when we fall or when we see someone or there's someone we are attracted to, you know, that lust, that love kind of takes over those rose-colored glasses and we see, the we, we feel the attraction. But what's happening is like our brain is being flooded, right? With like happy hormones and we just feel high, right? And so 
um, for me, I think it's really important to understand not only do we need the emotional piece of the feeling high of the love and lust, um, but we also need the logical piece. This is how we weigh and how we can understand and actually can achieve, I believe, better sexual lives, um, just better lives overall is when we balance these two. And so that's where the aligned desires come in, right? Because regardless how emotionally I feel for someone, if I'm in lust with someone, if our desires aren't aligned, then that lust is going, is going to eventually fail, right? Because they're like, okay, our desires don't even align. What's, what, you know, what's going on? Um, desires. And you also said, um, you have to have interests in common. If you don't have any interests in common, that's going to make it hard for you all to connect. Um, because what we are truly attracted to are people who are similar to us. Yeah. We like to say, Oh, opposites attract. Yeah. Maybe opposites in some aspects, maybe, but for the most part, we need to have the same or similar interests in order for us to be successful if we want to maintain sort of a long-term relationship of some type, right? So for instance, when I was at the Bonobo retreat, right? And um, I'm talking to this woman and we're talking and um, she starts talking about how she wants to lean in more to her submissive side. And I was like, oh my gosh, I want to leave lean in more to my dominant side, but like 24 seven. And so as we were talking, we we're like, oh my gosh, our desires align in this space. Like, can we make this happen? And so we talked about it and we made it happen, you know, for that weekend. So not only did she have the desire to be submissive and fulfill that desire for her to serve, um, I also got to be served. Um, and that was really nourishing for me because it was like, oh, this feels so good because, you know, I'm, I'm constantly serving my child you know, 24 seven. So for me, it was really nice to like have someone cater to me, have someone look out for me, have someone really take care of me. And, um, it was, it was one of the best things I, I, we, we both, you know, probably, um, well, I, one I can only speak for myself is one of the best things that I experienced. Um, and yeah, it felt really nice. So when thinking about the desires are aligned, not only did our desires align, um, but our interests also align. So this DS dynamic that we had was really beautiful. And, um, it was, it was, it, yeah, it was just mutual. It was, yeah, just very beautiful. So I think when that happens, that's a, a good place to be and everybody, all parties feel good about it. And then it also makes you want to continue like, oh, we could probably do this again sometime. And when that happens, if you feel good, of course you want to do it again, right? It reminds me a lot of when I have couples, specifically like my heterosexual couples, when the women are like, well, I'm just not into sex. And then I get them alone and I'm like, well, is the sex good? No. Well, then it makes sense, right? Of course, you're not going to want to have sex because the sex isn't good. Why would I want to keep doing something that doesn't feel good to me? So it's important to have the, your desires align along with your interests um, in order to maintain that sustainability and long-term health for a relationship. You just made me think about um, therapy, uh, psychotherapy, and sometimes people have it individually, you know, on their own, one-on-one -on -one with their therapist. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they have, in addition to that, therapy as a couple. And sometimes both people are doing individual and couple. And, and to, your, to your recollection of, of she, I suspect, said, uh, I'm just not into the sex. And then you got her alone. She said, I'm just not into this sex because it's not great. 
Have you found that in that situation, you've been able to dig deeper and find that there was commonality between the two and there was a success story to come? that they did find their way back together or maybe together for the first time because sometimes people get together and it's not good at all until there's some kind of either shake up and and an epiphany or they break up. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the reason they're coming to me, right, is because they want to be aligned and they want to fix the issue. And so a lot of times um, I've had many couples where I'm like, okay, well, what about the sex isn't good? Well, maybe it hurts during penetration. Okay, well, do you use lube? No. Okay, well, let's hurry up and fix that. Oh, I'm going through menopause. Okay, you're going through maybe some vaginal dryness, maybe some atrophy is happening. Okay, let's do some exercises. Let's get some some daily oil. Like, let's get like, we basically start problem solving until we're like, oh, okay, this is the reason why you're maybe you're not having the pleasurable sex because you got with them because you were having pleasurable sex. So something is amiss or something happened maybe over time for whatever reason, because our bodies change and evolve, we just need to figure out what is the specific issue that is this happening. It might be, you know, they want oral sex and they just couldn't communicate that. So and maybe so then we have to start, okay, well, this is what you say. This is how, you know, using some positive reinforcement. This is how you need to talk to your partner. So communication tactics, those things are also helpful for people outside of their sexual relationship. Because sometimes people are just not communicating um, their real desires and needs. And that is the real problem. That's such a great point. I mean, communication about Anything is incredibly important and for some people an incredible challenge, particularly if a lot of time has passed, resentment can be built around the inability to effectively communicate, whether it's one person or two people, it's two people that aren't jiving. And to that end, take it a step further into the bedroom, into your sexuality. If you can't communicate about the milk and the and the groceries and the kids, How are you going to be able to communicate about something more complex than that, like your sexuality? It's, it's, it's all encompassing. You're either great communicators or you're not. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Or you're learning. And, 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 and this is the thing. You never really stop learning if you're doing it right. Right. It's an evolution. It's ongoing. We can never be perfect at anything, but if you're kind of more than in lust, if you're kind of on the way to in love. And want to spend a lot of time with somebody in a partnership, whatever that looks like, you want to be better at it, don't you? The intention is there to let's do this better and better so that we can flourish and the sex can be even better than it was when we first started. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know... My intention every time that I go into a situation, especially when I'm coaching couples or individuals, is that I'm going to give you the tools. You need to be able to use the tools. And then I want to see you off and doing your thing. Now, you can come to me maybe for a touch up every once in a while. But the point is for you to work with me, I want to be able to give you the tools and for you to actually work on them, know what they are and use them, not just you know, having me bug you, you know, every week or every other week um, about something you're not doing. Right. Um, I always tell my couples before I even start working with them, like you can pay me all you want, but if you're not doing the work, it's not, it's going to be a problem. You're there to teach them to fish so they can go catch their own. Exactly. 
we all want more fuck yes and oh God in our lives. And I'm talking about the kind that puts us on our backs and our knees and underneath or on top or in front of or behind <laughs> in the company of people with whom we can safely explore our hopes and dreams and desires. And the people in abundance of all of that that have found their way, that's wonderful. Share a bit of wisdom based on your recent travels in meeting people with their various questions and challenges in their own lives about relationships and certainly about sexuality. How do these people as individuals get closer to the heart of it all, of of abundance because it leads me to things like manifestation and thinking positive and being sex positive. How do people raise their vibration as it were to get closer to the heart of what they really want and desire in their lives? Well, I think that one of the first things they need to do is, you know, you have to figure out who are you authentically and genuinely, who are you and what do you want? What what do you desire? Many times when I've worked with people with like, I don't know what the problem is. And I'm like, okay, well, what are you attracted to? Hmm. I don't know. Okay. Well, you need to think about it. Right. So, um, it's really, really important that you take the time to think about every possible facet of your sexuality that you can, right. To learn, um, because this is the way that you get to know yourself and how you can relay that information if you were to get into a relationship. I mean, because, okay, in our book, The Ultimate Guide to Seduction and Foreplay that I co-wrote with Dr. Jess, right? I mean, we talk, we, we have all of these amazing prompts. I'm really proud of the book just because the, all of those prompts, I mean, are, it's literally like a workbook. And it's basically how do you get to know yourself better how to get to know yourself more. What are the things that you need to think about and discuss with or without your partner um, to make you understand yourself more? Because when you're sure of yourself, then when you enter into relationship, you could be like, this is who I am. Do you accept me for me? And if you accept me for me, then yes, we can move on. But if you don't accept me for me, then I'm not the person for you. Or if you think you can try to change me, I'm not the person for you. And so I think it's important to come into whatever relationship knowing and authentic, authentically being yourself and being honest with yourself and, and not thinking about what you can or can't shift. So it's like having a relationship user guide, right? So when you are angry, what do you do when you're angry? Okay. How do you want somebody to approach you when you're angry? How do you want somebody to approach you when you're horny? I had a, uh, uh, an individual, this is why I stopped seeing individuals who are in relationships because I had an individual, you know, she came to me and she's like, I need help. I want to be a better lover for my husband. And I'm like, well, your husband's not here. So how, how would I be able to help you? I think I need to see your husband. Like, can he come in for a session? Because I, like, I am not sure what's going on. And basically what I found is like when I'm talking to him about what's happening, what's going on, it's like she did a sort of bait and switch situation, right? So they met as swingers. Basically, she was like a bisexual swinger. And then when they got into a relationship, she basically was like, oh, no, I'm going to be a monogamous. And no, I don't want to do any more swinging. And like, no, I'm not going to be, I only want to be with you as a man. I don't want to be with any women. 
And like, I was like, oh my gosh, like you totally did a bait and switch. So here I am trying to help her, but like not getting anywhere. Cause like, I, I'm not understanding the dynamics. And it turns out he was like, I fell in love with this bisexual swinger and then we get married. And then that's not who she is anymore. And so not knowing who you are or not stating. So basically when she got with him or married him, she didn't tell him, Hey, I just want to be monogamous. Hey, I don't want to mess with women anymore. She didn't let him know that before they got married. And I think that's fucked up. (laughs) I think that's really, really fucked up for someone to, to not expose who they are as a person. And, um, or if she understood herself to be that way, not relay that message so that, you know, he understands the kind of situation that he's getting into. It's, it's a tragedy when that happens. One of the most commonly used and one of the most important words in this entire space of relationships and sexuality, to me, to your point, is authenticity. And that was an example of the most inauthentic uh, staging that, that uh, one can imagine. Um, and the bait and switch is a great expression. I'm going to present myself as something that I'm actually not. And then I'm going to present this problem that I actually created. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're on this evolution and hopefully she sorts it out and moves forward. I guess timing, when you meet someone new, the timing of what you reveal, when you reveal is always interesting and a challenge to many. Do I tell them all on the first date? Am I afraid to scare you away with those things? Any number of things you could be that are out of the so-called heteronormative world that are, you know, some of our parents taught us that <laughs> was the way to fly. What do you think? Is it all up front or is it all just before we end up having sex? What are your thoughts on these things? Mm, I think you should just say it on like the the maybe first, second, third date. I think you should just be who you are. And um, what I've learned is that I won't scare off the people if I'm afraid of scaring off someone, then I don't need to be with that person. You know what I mean? Um, and I'm not going to be shamed about who I am as a person. And I think when you're scared to say who you are, I think that is the this is where the shame comes in. Like, oh, they, they might not like me if I do this. Okay, well, then you move on to the next. There's going to be someone who's going to be okay with it. I always say put everything out there on the first date. Hey, this is my lifestyle. I am monogamish. Um, I can only have an emotional relationship with one person, but I can have sexual relationships with many people. Um, I love flirtationships. I like to go to nudist resorts. I am an intense person and an intense lover. And like I tell people who I am straight up as a person. So if someone doesn't like that, then we wouldn't move on. So if you're not sure of yourself, I think it's that time where you need to work on yourself and work on who you are as a person and be sure and confident in who you are as a human being. In our own ways here at the Blue Hotel, we believe everyone's an artist in their own right. People say, I'm not an artist. I don't really play an instrument. I don't paint. I'm, I'm just this or I'm just that. We reduce ourselves to being just. I think everyone's an artist. Um, it goes beyond writing and acting and painting. It extends to how we decorate our homes, what we put on in the morning to go to work or wherever we go, how we customize our homes and motorbikes and cars, how we do relationships, how we make love, how we fuck. It's all an expression. It's an artistic expression. One of the ways that I have found that people have really come to a greater height of pleasure in their relationships and sexuality is the art of dirty talk. 
and it's something I know that you know a bit about. Talk a bit about the power of, of talking in a dirty way. Yeah. So the art of dirty talk, really, when I'm teaching this class, it's really about what are your sexual assets, right? And then it's also about what what turns you on um, and what turns you off, right? What are your hard limits when it comes to dirty talk? Um, because we need to know these things too. So when it comes to art, the art of it all, um, it's sort of like when you watch a movie and you see a movie you really love and you're like, the acting is so good, right? I was really convinced. I hated that character, right? That is what the art of dirty talk essentially is. It's a way of using your power and your, like I said, your sexual assets um, to relay whatever it is that you are dirty talking about, right? So it is about tone. It is about inflection. It is about erotic intent. Um, it is about what kind of dirty talk, right? Is it a, a challenge? Is it romantic? Is it, because all dirty talk doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, quote unquote dirty, right? Is, is there direction? Is it descriptive? Are you into, you know, talk about possession? Possession, like I want you and only you kind of thing. Um, you know, like a monogamous like stuff or, or is it non-monogamous? Are you into, you know, do you want to be made to feel jealous or insecure? Cause that's, cause that, you know, riles up some feelings in you. So it's thinking about like, um, in our book just talks about the core erotic feeling, right. And the elevated erotic feeling. So it's not only about how you want to feel, but how you want your lover to also feel and how you can elevate your words to ensure that your lover gets that feeling that they need. So the art of it all really has to do with how you say it. So when I'm doing this workshop, I literally, if it, I usually max it out at like 30 people and everybody we go through they pick a dirty talk phrase i give people like a hundred different dirty talk phrases and then because we, we also have to think about arousal level so low arousal more arousal high arousal you know and thinking about what are the things that you say when you are in a low arousal state things when you are getting hyped up for more arousal things when it's you know climax and you know you want to you know shout to the rooftops the fuck yes right um you know, getting into those different states. So I go through and I coach each individual person on their own tone, inflection, how they say things, their erotic intent, and understand how to use their power and energy to convey the message that they want to convey. So that all in all is really sort of the art of dirty talk. Now, a goal of dirty talk, you've got me thinking about the goals and what they might be. And the one you mentioned seems to me like the greatest goal. What might other goals be other than an elevated state of eroticism, an elevated state of pleasure? What could you be trying to get out of this situation through dirty talk? Um, connection, fantasy. Connection being like how you actually are connecting to that person. Um, you know, many times pe folks who are auditory tend to really love dirty talk. Um, maybe visual, tactile people may might be into it, but maybe not as much. But it's all, it's really just context dependent, right? Yes, it's connection. Yes, it's the elevated state of arousal. And to foster fantasy, 
right? So if you are wanting to get into more fantastical things, um, uh, dirty talk is a way to get in your brain and sort of elevate any kind of fantasy that may pop up there for you. So it's a way to tap into your desires and it's a way to get through to those things that are already sort of arousing to you in a different way. And as you noted, there may be some no-fly zones, some 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 hard nose with people about what they hear from you or what you hear from them. And that's, again, back to communication. And, and it doesn't have to be, oh, my God, I can't believe you said that. It, it can be more like, I'm not comfortable with you fantasizing about, you know, my best friend, that sort of thing. <laughs> and you respect that line. It's really important, too, to ensure that you talk about this not in the bedroom, right? So when you're talking about the dirty talk, because you're like, I want to explore dirty talk with you. Like, let's do this. You don't, you're not doing it in the bedroom because the bedroom creates a lot of pressure. Um, so you're doing it, you know, on the couch or when you're at dinner or whatever, right? Like you're doing The it. communication about what you're going to do. Yes, the communication, exactly. And, and knowing what those hard limits are um, for each person. Uh, but also telling about your fantasies, you know, and, and really exploring those, seeing if that's something that your partner wants to do, getting to know those fantasies more. There's some wisdom, I think. Uh, I heard this expression or, or this sort of way forward that you could say to your partner, listen, there's nothing you can say that will offend me or shock me. Because a lot of people hold back. They're afraid that they may offend or shock you. One of the things about fantasy that is also, I think, wise, I'd like to know your feelings about it, is just because it's in my imagination and it comes out of my mouth to your ears doesn't necessarily mean I want to do it for real. Although it may be something I want to do for real, but these are discussions and these are conversations to have about, was that just fantasy or was there more to that? And you can get into trouble if you don't have an open mind to more discussion. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's why the topic of conversation and communication is going to be great, right? Because when it comes to fantasy, um, you want to know, is this a fantasy that I want in real life? Or is it just a fantasy that I want to keep in my head, right? I remember I had a fantasy of, um, I think it was for, I'm never mind, I don't even know how old I was back then, but, um, basically I had a party and I wanted to perform oral sex on everybody at the party. Like I wanted to make everybody come and then just be like next and like send the next person in next. And like, although that fantasy sounds really fucking hot in my head in real life I'm kind of like mm, no <laughs> like I don't know whose genitals would be next or if I would re even want that so it remains in my head and that feels good to me so I think that's something to discuss hey is this a fantasy you want acted out or is this a fantasy you don't want and I remember one time for one of my exes, she had wanted a uh, an orgy, and so I surprised her for one of her birthdays and and got her and got her got her orgy. <laughs> like I can pick it off a shelf at Target, but like I arranged an orgy for her, and it was really beautiful and nice because she expressed to me this is something she wanted, and she was able to fulfill a lot of her fantasies um, with you know hooking up with some of my friends, and I was just like, have at it, you know. 
And so I think it's really important to understand, is this a fantasy? Is it just something that lives in my head? Um, If it's something that just lives in my head, am I okay to express those desires when we are having sex or when we are in a foreplay or when we are in the midst of a sexual experience? And just really understanding how, you know, comfortable your, your partner you know, is with that fantasy. Because as long as it lives in your head, you can use that fantasy for masturbation and it could just be your own. So if it's not tied up in another person, I think it's safe to say that your fantasy, if it lives in your head, you're okay. (laughs) Again, fantasy, it could just be a fantasy that gets you off or gets you to a higher level with your partner. Or it could be something that develops. So what was um, just fantasy in your mind on a Monday, two weeks Monday, It may be something that you've actually thought, I think I need to do this. No wonder I'm thinking so much about it. It's something I want to do. So it's, again, about communication. It's about revisiting that conversation with someone because you don't have to be afraid that I told them it was just a fantasy, but now that I'm thinking more about it, you need to communicate these things to the person that you're with because you're allowed to change your mind as they are. Mm -hmm. So keep talking, I guess, is the... Marla, you're well-versed and able to teach in the art of BDSM and kink with workshops to get people going with the basics of important things like consent and negotiation and boundaries. Tell us about how kink and BDSM have given people greater pleasure and satisfaction in their lives than they may have ever thought possible before they sort of put the toe in the water and learned a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, with kink and BDSM, I think it's such a really great way to explore your sexuality because kink and BDSM don't necessarily have to integrate with sex. Now, some people love kink with their sex and that's perfectly fine, but I think it's also a way to have an experience that releases a lot of that dopamine, releases a lot of those endorphins, um, all those happy hormones. Like it really helps you to connect to a way, a, a way of, of, happiness, you know, a way of being, a way of exploring your sexuality. And people are craving that, right? They might be, you know, they're tired of the, they're tired of the, uh, you know, missionary position, right? They want to do something different. They want to explore more. People are always looking for what else out there is there. In his book, um, Justin Lee, Dr. Justin Lee Miller's uh, book, Tell Me What You Want, it's really about not only sort of fantasy, but also like there are things that people need in their lives, in their sexual experiences that have just been living in their head. And I think with kink and BDSM, it allows you to actually live out some of those experiences. So for instance, if you want to get spanked, like kink is the perfect place to, you know, explore impact play. And with kink too, we also, it's it's so funny because I actually wrote an article um, in this book that just came out called The Power of BDSM. And in my article, I talk about how kink dynamics have integrated into you know, polyamorous or non-monogamous communities and swinging communities, like all these other communities, even in like, you could find it in freaking Cosmo. They're talking about aftercare, after sex. 
And I'm like, that wasn't a thing. Cuddling, maybe after sex, maybe was a thing. It was either cuddling or get off me. Like that was the aftercare, right? Um, but now it's like, oh, aftercare, what does this look like? And that comes from BDSM. Like, is it physical aftercare? Is it emotional aftercare? Like all of these different things that kink has introduced into the world, we realize, oh, these are such good things. And then when it comes to consent and boundaries, you are literally creating your safety container. You are literally creating the thing that makes you feel good and secure. And so moving into that dynamic, it's such a beautiful thing because it allows people to, again, understand who they are as a person, right? And be authentic in what they want and desire and, and, and express those desires. And then being able to explore maybe some of those kinks that they didn't realize that, uh, that they could be kinks. <laughs> Didn't realize that we're even in them to explore. Yeah. And, and then to your point earlier about it's one of the great ways to grow that connection with that person that you are, you know, in lust or love or, or in a partnership with to get deeper, to, to, to peel back some layers and find out a little more about who they are and how they tick um, with, with whether they want to be dominant, whether they want to be submissive, whether they have both of those things in them. And how does that play out? Where do they do it? Do they do it at home? Do they do it in uh, polyamorous relationships? Do they do it at a sex club? Where do they do it? How do they do it? If the desire is there, the exploration comes next. And, and how to get to know someone better than to explore these things that go beyond, as you said, the Friday night missionary position. Because after 19 years of that, chances are that the relationship may have gotten a little um, stale if you hadn't challenged yourself to figure out what more there might be the evolution of our sexuality and our sexuality with a partner is just that. It's an evolution. It doesn't stay the same right? with an expectation to be fulfilling for the entire relationship if you don't dig a little deeper. Yeah. And you've learned how to dig a little deeper, but you not only learned how to for yourself, you learned how to uh, express the how to people that you meet with clients. Exactly. Yeah, I think kink and BDSM is such a beautiful thing. And I'm just so happy that it's being more uh, mainstreamed now, I guess, <laughs> or that a lot of more people are learning about it um, because they want to tap into something different, something unique, something fun, something to explore. And like you said, it is an evolution. And we don't know what we don't know until we learn more about it. And so, Kink and BDSM allows for a vast <laughs> opportunity for all sorts of different types of kinky behavior, and they're all up for exploration if you want. Some people probably don't even realize they are participating in kink and BDSM without even knowing it. Like, oh, yeah. for instance, you're making love, and he's on top, and you're on the bottom, and just before he's about to explode, you dig your sharp nails into his ass to the point that it feels like you're drawing blood and it, it, the heightened eroticism and sensation of that is spectacular and you just had a, a kinky or a bdsm moment without knowing it um but there's ways to take it a step further that you might enjoy even more exactly exactly and i think part of that too is that the consent process right the feeling safe and secure that aspect i think that is probably one of the the most important piece um, around kink and bdsm because you want to like i said establish that 
establish those those boundaries and and what you want because when you feel safe you know that it's you know it's not going to surprise your partner or it might surprise them but in a good way <laughs> what are we asking of each other when we're looking for approval or consent what do they look like what do they sound like i guess well i think consent is very interesting because a lot of people will say like oh i need an enthusiastic yes right in order for me and i'm like well what if someone's mute or what if someone's i've done a, i've done a kink workshop for deaf people so i really part of my experience is like not everybody is going to be vocal, right? And even if somebody is in a subspace, they're not going to be, they might not be vocal. So what are the gestures? So part of that negotiation process is around finding out what your, yes, your safety words, safety gestures are. Um, but consent also is not so black and white, I think, as people think it is. And at Sex Down South, we talk about um, in our model, we call, talk about intuitive consent. Some of us can tell energetically that it's a yes. You know what I mean? Um, and that is okay. You know, I think we need to have an open mind about what consent looks like, whether it's verbal, nonverbal, whether it's intuitive or not intuitive for my neurodivergent people, what consent looks like. I tell them, hey, it, you know, within an arm's length, you know, stepping into the personal bubble, this is what consent looks like. If you're neurodivergent, when you are, you know, you have maybe you're not aware of social cues. So I think it's extremely important to tap into the consent that you you need and to talk about that consent that you need. This sounds like the conversation we had earlier about when you meet someone new, telling them up front who you are without fear that they're going to run away. Because you're okay if they run away, if they don't like you for what you just told them you are. Fair enough. They're not for you. This is the same upfront conversation. How do you communicate? How do I expect you to communicate? Here's how you can expect me to communicate. My yes may not be the word yes. It may be a, a gesture that looks like this. It may be this. It may be this. And we both do that until we've got a pretty clear understanding of what our consensual clues are. And then we can proceed without fear that we're going to do the wrong thing. And then it's going to blow up in our face. So you make a great point. Uh, Marley Liss was on this program, Marla, some weeks ago, and she talked about um, consent in the same way you're talking about it. It's not always verbal. It, it, it's different things. It's different cues. And, uh, and we need to talk about it. And we need to understand it. Yeah. And I think it's also important to note, too, even within kink and BDSM, you know, there's sometimes there's a lot of talk around like if you are drunk or you're high, you can't give consent. I think that's bullshit. There's so many people who do give consent when they are or need a glass of wine or need to smoke a joint or whatever, or they're not just on whatever drugs that they want to be on. Like, yes, I think it's totally possible to give consent. So I think, you know, when people spout this bigger than thou version of you can't do something if you are high or drunk, I think is, is BS. And I think we should, we need to re remember that that is not true. And that's not always the case. So it's summer 2023 and we're speaking and uh, you've been on the road traveling and we talked about spring fever and, and we've both, you know, uh, got clothing on that we feel great about because it's summertime. It's not the dead of winter. <laughs> And, and then we're thinking about holidays, as everyone is. What are we going to do in July and August and September? 
What are the things that you look at for the rest of your summer that you think, I really want to do this. I'm really looking forward to this thing, this place, these people. What are the things that are on your calendar that are most exciting, Marla? Gosh, this is a hard one because my wife and I are trying to have a second baby. Um, so for me, my summer has been just like, what's do what's going on? Um, but in a couple of weeks, we are having um, Sex Down South. We, we have a project called Slay, Sexual Liberation, Art, and Education. And so Slay, we're putting on this thing called Sex on the Beach in Miami. Um, that's happening July 8th. And then um, as far as like the summertime, though, um, I'm just looking forward to being in the sun. I mean, living in Florida, I mean, the sun's here like constantly. And the summer is not that great because it's like hurricane season. But at least, you know, at least we might get half the day sunshine, half the day, you know, rain. But um, I think the thing that I look forward to the most in the summer, besides like fun events and like pool parties, um, maybe just just being outside, <laughs> being outside. Um, yeah. Because I'm just trying to think, July, August, September, Sex Down South is in September. So, you know, lots of planning and things are going on during my summer. (laughs) I saw a post as well uh, on your Instagram, Marla, that that spoke to, and you can fill in the blanks here, it spoke to the conservative world or the conservative crowd or the conservative clients. And I wonder if it's as conservative, if it's as prevalent in reality, as it seems to be in headlines, whether you go to Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or wherever, the news at large, this 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 Florida, since you're there, DeSantis and the hangover from Trump and all of those <laughs> hypocrites, all of those like-minded hypocrites that uh, judge and pretend to think one thing when you know that they probably don't actually live it. Is it in reality as strong and as big and as bold as it seems to be in the headlines, this conservative wave? That is a great question. Um, There are some things that I feel that I'm kind of just like, ugh, like the pride celebrations, like they've kind of like kids, maybe kids aren't allowed or they're not allowed to have drag queens at pride or it was something like that. Um, And I was just like, that is outrageous ridiculous and it's so interesting because literally my baby gosh he was maybe one I think when he was first maybe starting to walk or maybe not really walking or something we took him to a drag show and he was like interacting with the drag queens and you know giving them dollars and having fun and like when drag king queen came and put the wig on his head and I was just like oh my god this is so cute and adorable and I just think wow now he would not be able to have that experience unless you know we take him to California or take him you know somewhere else you know and um which I guess is fine because I travel all the time with him (laughs) but at the same time um I'm trying not to get caught up too much in the politics of it all. And I'm going to be homeschooling. So my child isn't probably going to have the same education as people, as those kids that are in public school. So, and I'm kind of like, I'm just going to live my life. (laughs) Like, fuck whatever roles that people, you know, that these, you know, these 
it's a shame that, yeah, maybe I can't experience some of these things, but, and I feel very privileged and fortunate that I can travel and experience those things. So, and my child can experience those things. So I think that's kind of where I'm, I'm standing, but you know, right now, but you know, with all these legislation, all the anti-trans bills, like all the, all the things happening, I'm just kind of, um, I'm going to do the things that I want to do and, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, if we live our life according to uh, the political structure, it, it, it'll take away from our enjoyment of life and it'll take away our own authentic being um, by thinking there's just that way or that way, which is, you know, the two party in America and largely in Canada, two party system. Right. Where I know I don't fit into that and I, and I don't fit into that either. I'm not living your truth. I'm not living well, truth. <laughs> I'm not living what you pretend to be the truth or what you pretend to be the truth. I'm going to be over here doing my thing. And if that means I have to homeschool my kids because you're banning some of the books that I think would be right. legit, like history, right? like anatomy, like sexuality, like gender studies, like race studies. Right. If none of that makes sense to you, I, I'm going to, I'll be over here doing yeah. my thing. Well, I, I, I wish you luck with the second child. Thank you. Have you ever heard of or, or um, been in contact with Robin Oaks? No, it's a I woman. don't think so. She's a good follow. That's my only recommendation to you today, um, Marla, is Robin Oaks is uh, um, from Boston area, women's studies, gender studies, sexual studies. She's a, a real proponent, uh, certainly a real spokesperson in America for bisexuality. And she's also married to a woman, has been for almost 20 years. And she's a wonderful read and a wonderful person. So she's a good follow for everyone. R-O-B-Y-N. Oaks is O-C-H-S on Instagram. And Marla Renee Stewart, my special guest today, is another absolute wonderful follow on Instagram. Where else are we going to find you and find out more about you? Yes, you can find me, oh gosh, everywhere. Um, you can go on my website, marlareneestewart.com. Um, from there, you can probably find my uh, sex ed website, velvetlipssexed.com, or my sex conference, sexdownsouth.com. I also run a discussion series called Race and Kink, which is raceandkink.com. Um, and then you can find me on social media at one, the number one, uh, Marla Stewart. S T E W A R T, and then at Velvet Lips Sex Ed, sex without the E on all social media platforms. So that's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, although I'm not very present on TikTok. But yeah, on all those social media channels. <laughs> you have a great presence, a great name, Marla Renee Stewart. It sounds like a movie star. And, uh, <laughs> I wanted to be a movie star when I was younger. <laughs> you wanted to? I still do. Never, you know, that's, the desire never, is still it's there. It's never too late. Yeah. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> manifest that shit it'll grow <laughs> thank you so much Marla for being here at the Blue Hotel yes thank you so much for having me I appreciate it come on let's go to the Blue Hotel please take me back to the Blue Hotel the Blue Hotel podcast just about every Thursday at midnight eastern Follow, listen, enjoy, rate, review, share, repeat. Till next time, I'm Jeff Woods.
come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many roads that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com.